0: affected under
1: By the old veteran, Brian Murphy, fired the last two shots during the deadly encounter. He showed you this video just the other day, folks. Again, trigger warning to anyone, uh, turn away, please turn away right now. I'm going to read a little bit more and then we're going to play the video in about 15 seconds. Uh stepped was killed by police uh, on Thursday while walking on the highway. Nine officers thought he pulled a gun on them and they opened fire. Watch
2: this, folks. Please, Landon. Please. No, no, no. Landon. Landon. fire! Speed fire! Please.
1: Joy Kimbrough, The attorney. So the, he had nine cops surrounding him, nine cops.
3: Well, actually, there were more than nine cops out there. There were far more than nine. There were nine that um, shot.
1: So nine fired shots. Right, um, right. And but there
3: were many, many, many officers out there.
1: And so he reaches... In his pocket. First of all, we, we heard different reports that when well, they pulled up, did he have box cutters? What was in his hand?
3: Well, what's, what's interesting is we have not seen um, we have not seen this alleged box cutter. No one.
1: So, what? So in the video, he reaches back, pulls something out, what was that, was it a phone, was it...
3: No, there was, um, we, we're not sure what that is, and we've never been able to really get like a good picture, a good view of it, but it was some like Something of
1: that sort. But they couldn't ascertain what it was, and then when he pulls it out, their instinct is to shoot to kill. Has anyone explained to you why no one had a taser?
3: Listen, I have no idea why they jumped uh, from zero to 100. I have no clue. And my understanding is they had been out there over 30 minutes. So I don't, you know, here in Nashville, um, we, our Metro Council will give the police department anything they ask for, any amount of money. So uh, recently, they just gave them over three million dollars because they wanted new tasers. Um, they spent over nine million on uh, SUVs. They give them anything they want. So this is.
1: The, the thing that just is just beyond me uh, is, is this was clearly a man who had some issues. Uh, did he have a history of mental illness, uh, anything along those lines um, as it relates to uh, his uh, as it relates to um, you, know, I- you know his condition, anything like that? Yes, he
3: does. Uh, my understanding is he was bipolar and schizophrenic, uh, so he definitely has a history of uh, mental health issues, but even if he had not, I still do not understand how this started as a man, a welfare check is my understanding, a man sitting on a guardrail on the side of the road, not bothering anybody, not obstructing traffic, not doing anything to anyone. I don't know how it went from that to one officer to two officers, to three to four to five,
1: I mean, it was no less than 20, 25, 30 out there. No, so I, I do, because because that's exactly what happened. And the problem is when you have a welfare check, a wellness check, uh, and, again, they were out there more than 30 minutes, it was abundantly clear something was wrong with this man. And so this is why people have been saying you bring in mental health professionals. You do not send out cops whose first instinct is to pull out weapons, and they are trained to shoot Kill, not to wound to shoot to kill and that and so i'm still sitting here going okay if you were out there that long and clearly and we played the audio and we can hear the officers say look man we don't want to be begging you know don't want to do this here i don't understand why you don't that, that's not where you go hmm guns down hit pull a taser and even after a certain period of time and granted you don't know what he's carrying that's why you also have a taser and what's more
3: disturbing—that voice you hear negotiating with him—is our understanding that that was the off-duty officer who pulled up. This in another county. He had his family in a car. His wife actually calls nine one one to say, "Hey, if these officers start shooting, I'm I'm going to be in the crossfire." So this is an off-duty officer driving down the street. He gets out of his vehicle. He's doing all the negotiating. Well, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, But in Nashville, Tennessee, when it comes to our Metro Nashville Police, they get an F when it comes to being prepared to deal with people or citizens with mental health issues. We get an F. They killed a homeless man. They killed a homeless man in the woods. His mother had called in and asked them to check on him. His name was Jason Griffin. They killed him. Uh, there was a young lady who called the police. Her name was Melissa Whitting. She called Metro Police and asked them to come kill her. She no longer wanted to live or whatever. They go out there. She's holding a uh, uh, souvenir baseball bat in one hand. But they do, they tase her first, and then they shoot her, and now she has a colostomy bag. So, I mean, they're just uh, ill-equipped. They're not prepared to deal with people with mental health issues, and it makes no sense, because they get every dime they request. Every penny they they even think they want, they get. It's approved.
1: Indeed. Uh, Joy, what's next for you and the family?
3: Next, uh, his wife is going to have to have services. He still uh, uh, has not um, been buried. They still haven't had the service. So uh, that's what's next. You know, this is still, we're still in the initial stages. Uh, It's very hard on her. They were only married, they got married May 21st. They haven't even been married a year. He has a teenage son that he leaves behind. Um, So I guess just arrangements, those are want yep. officers held accountable. They've already decommissioned one, and the one that decommissioned, decommissioned is the one, you hear them say stop, ceasefire, whatever. He's the one that even though uh, Mr. Estep is on the ground, clearly on the ground, no threat, he continues to shoot. Mm-hmm. That's him, Brian Murphy. So uh, he's been decommissioned. So I. I as far as he's concerned. But there needs to be an investigation as to all officers out there that day. It was like a firing squad. They executed that man, that mentally ill man. They executed him. Um, And and I just hope this isn't one that gets swept under the rug because it's it's, uh, bound to happen again and again and again. And let me just say, Now, the grand jury indicted him on first-degree murder. However, some deal was made, and uh, the judge, Judge Monty Watkins, uh, allowed him to uh, be sentenced to three years, which he will only have to serve a year and a half of that. But um, we really aren't holding these these officers accountable here in Nashville.
1: Um, It is certainly uh, a, a sad story. Joy, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us on uh, we'll Thank
3: talk. you. Thank you, William.
1: Uh, all right, folks. Uh, Georgia DA asked for FBI security after Donald Trump held a rally in Conroe, Texas. During his speech on Saturday, Trump railed against prosecutors investigating him, including Fulton County DA Fannie Willis. Her office uh, is looking into Trump's interference in the 2020 presidential elections there in Georgia. Trump urged his supporters to hold massive protests. If anything illegal, is discovered that he did. Listen to this idiot.
4: If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta, and elsewhere, because our country Our elections are corrupt. They're
1: corrupt. New York Attorney General Letitia James and the Manhattan D.A. are also investigating Donald Trump's businesses. Willis wrote a letter to the FBI office in Atlanta asking for a risk assessment of buildings surrounding her office and the courthouse, the building where a grand jury will be seated to investigate election interference. This, Jeff, right here. Uh, shows you how evil, how sick and demented this idiot is. He ha- has no regard uh, for life, has no regard for anyone else, uh, and frankly cannot be trusted at all. Uh, I hope these folks hurry up and indict this thug. Uh, it's also noteworthy
5: to point out that in with all of those component parts, he's still quite popular, and he's very popular with his popular with people who believe in him Uh, i talked about one of the first this was a couple of months back when i came on here i talked about the difference between belief and fact and if you can convince somebody to believe in something in some noun in some person place thing or idea they don't care what the facts are so trump is speaking loudly to his true believers Uh, they're not interested in the rule of law Uh, They're not interested in fairness, justice, and equality. They're not interested in equity. They're only interested in Trump, and they're interested in what he is promising to give to them, even though he never, ever delivers. He is speaking and using coded language. That is working for him. It works for him. If you'll note, every time you listen to him speak, I'm going to give you a little tip to listen to him for. Listen to how he describes the country and listen to what he stresses our country our election he's talking about white men our america make our country great again it's direct coded language it used to be coded language now it's just shop talk with the homeboys so now he's saying i am going to do whatever i want to do in this space as long as i have you behind me people will get money they will show up at the rallies they will turn their hate into activism we have to be mindful that while, yes, he is shameless, while, yes, he is in- corrupt, while, yes, he is
6: unqualified, he
5: knows exactly who he's talking to. He knows how to push their buttons. He knows how to rally them. He knows how to charm them and to mobilize them. And that is why Donald Trump is still dangerous. This is why we have to make sure that we don't sit back on our laurels and just allow this to go unchecked.
0: Ilion.
1: Um, really
0: you know, the orange orangutan is—I uh, don't curse on your so I won't call his name. The orange orangutan is at his highlight of stupidity, cupidity, ignorance, and arrogance. But the fact is that these prosecutors, who are well within their rights in their jobs that they were elected to, are being treated to horrible—just uh, horrible treatment. Going after white men. He's going after women. He's going after black women. He said horrible things about Letitia James. He said horrible things about this sister here in Georgia. What he's basically doing is going after those who are perceived as other. So he's attempting to set up a tableau where it's white men and everybody else. And there are white men who are you know that I can't even say that on the air, because I can't say what I think of them on here. air. Uh, their own mothers, daughters, sisters, and wives under the bus when these women are raising questions about what he is doing. He needs to not only be locked up, they need to put a, a straitjacket on him and tase his behind for 45 minutes or so before they put him up under the jail because he's basically imperiling the life.
1: Uh, these folks, they still listen to him, his rant and his ravings. And again, we saw what happened on January 6th. Uh, he can move these folks to violence. Uh, DA Willis was absolutely smart to do this. Oh, absolutely. And he called
6: at that rally for large, the largest protest that America has ever seen as it relates to any action that these women's offices may take. So we could be talking about something greater than January 6th. I think we also, you know, Brother Jeff was talking about paying attention to the words that that he uses. Let's also remember, let's listen closely as well. When he goes after people like Liz Cheney and Kissinger and all these other types of guys, he may call these guys are not patriots or traitors and so on and so forth, but he never used the word racist, never used that word until talking about these two black women. So of everything that he said in that rally, the most dangerous word that he can throw out to that audience is that word, racist. These women not only need protection in their offices and for their staff, they need round-the-clock protection. We've seen what has happened across these countries in these coup boards and this big, you know, critical race theory argument and what these people will do over mass policies all of this other type of stuff, imagine what these folks will do to hear that two black women are coming after their leave. This is no (laughs) joke. And these two sisters need to invest in private security in addition to all of the FBI stuff. We have to start going the distance to make sure that our community is protected because we've seen what they're willing to do to each other as it relates to these insurrectionists on January 6th and so on and so forth. They could give two cares about okay. us. This is the Again, this was for Trevor McMichael and his father, Gregory.
1: Uh, what so what the judge did the judge the judge did not agree to the plea deal. Now, she did not she agreed with she agreed with the I listened in on the call today, folks. She agreed with the thirty year sentence. She did not agree to agree on the second part of the plea deal when it came to them serving the first 30 years in federal prison. As a result, she gave uh, them an opportunity to withdraw their plea deal. Their attorneys asked for 48 hours to confer with their clients. She then said, well, you can come back tomorrow or you can come back Friday. They said, let's do Friday. She said, let me be clear, the trial begins on Monday. In the back and forth, the judge made clear, she could sentence them to more than 30 years. She can sentence them Thirty years, or sentence them to less than thirty years, uh, and so that that was the issue. Jared, there Joining us right now uh, is uh, Lee Merritt, one of the attorneys for the Montgomery family. Uh, Lee, uh, you sent out uh, a series of texts uh, condemning this plea deal. Um, why is that? Why uh, why uh, that response? Because this was what the, this was the statement that was sent out after the judge decision. Uh, from the Assistant Attorney General Christian Clark, who leads the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. Quote, we respect the court's decision to not accept the sentencing terms of the proposed plea and continue the hearing until Friday. The Justice Department takes seriously its obligation to confer with the Aubrey family and their lawyers, both pursuant to the Crime Victim Rights Act and out of respect for the victim. Before signing the proposed agreement reflecting the defendant's confessions to federal hate crime charges, Civil Rights Division consulted with the victim's attorneys. The Justice Department entered the plea agreement only after the victim's attorneys informed me that the family was not opposed to it. Your response to that?
7: Uh, Kristen Clark, who is a, is a, has been a dear ally and friend in the Civil Rights Department, and even before she was there, did consult with us as attorneys, both I and Ben Crump, uh, she did not talk to us about the condition of transfer.
1: So what, so what is the issue there? Because if they go to federal prison for 30 years, they're in prison. They're not getting out. And if they serve their time in a federal prison, then they're going to state prison. So so what is the issue here, them serving it in a Georgia state prison, prison versus a federal prison? Well, as Kristen Clark will tell you, the
7: uh, Department of Justice is currently suing the state of Georgia because of the condition of their prisons they are overcrowded they have less funding and comparatively the federal prison would represent a lighter sentence certainly so to the family the family is convinced of that and so they are not
1: interested in any plea deal that makes that sentence primary when you say a lighter sentence what does that mean how is it lighter if the time they're not getting less time in federal prison
7: no so what i said was
1: to understand this okay so is the family saying because georgia prisons are overcrowded underfunded uh and they're in horrible shape they want to see them there that's correct okay so that's why we keep saying lighter sentence that's really what you're talking about there um and so uh, now here's the other piece here they are appealing on the state grounds was a part of the federal plea deal they are admitting to the crime. Can't, doesn't that pretty much negate any potential appeal? Because they are admitting to it that, that, that he was he was uh, pursued due to race, uh, and so you pretty much slam dunk. You can try to appeal all you want to, you ain't getting out because you're going to have this federal uh, sheet of paper where, where they've stated that they pursued him and killed him based upon his race
7: of the uh, confession that where they admit to certain aspects of the crime. Now, mind you, uh, uh, mens rea or the, the belief that uh, that they chased after the, uh, Ahmad because of his race is not a factor in the crime that they were convicted of at the state level. However, any confession is going to make uh, an appeal more difficult. So,
1: yeah, that would be one benefit to the, uh, to the plea. Uh, also, uh, this, this DOJ plea bargain, uh, it also... Uh, would mean they they can't appeal on the federal level right they waived
7: the right to appeal as a part of the plea agreement they could not uh appeal the plea agreement they, that
1: they would have entered today. so what would the family be satisfied with that is they a plea on the federal level but they serve it in the state prison instead of federal the family would, is actually content with their sentence as it life without But, but here's the deal though, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, when it comes to uh, 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 comes to uh, state, you have life without parole, but that's obviously on the state charge, you still have the federal charge, but one of the defendants does have a possibility of parole, correct? And he was not a part of this plea. Right. And, and that's uh, William Roddy Bryant. That's correct. Okay. Uh, and so... If that's the case, is the family then asking the feds to withdraw the, tr- the, the case? Because, again, the judges said the trial is going to start on Monday. So if they come back and say, hey, because, you know, judge, you didn't accept it, we're, we, you know, uh, we're not going to accept this. Let's say this thing moves to trial, okay? It goes to trial. Let's say they are convicted. The reality is I've talked to different lawyers who say a lot of times, when you, when you have somebody convicted in the state and federal, a lot of times the federal uh, supersedes the state, and they serve time there first. So, so e- even if the trial moves forward, there's no guarantee that if they're convicted, they don't serve uh, initially in federal prison.
7: So this is certainly a condition that we spoke with Kristen Clark about, and she assured the family because of the crime. Without a plea deal, they
1: stay in state prison. Okay, no, 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 Without a plea deal, they stay in state prison if they're not convicted. No, even if they're convicted. Based upon what? Based on the representation of the president No, based yeah, upon what? But, but is there is there a statute that says, is there a statute, and I've been asking people for it, is there a statute that says the state takes precedent over federal? Uh, it, there are
7: factors consider. It's not a statute. There are two factors that will play here. First, who received the sentence first? So the fact that the state received the sentence first, and again, this is as was explained to us by Kristen Clark, the head of the civil rights division of the DOJ. Uh, so the fact that, that they received the, the sentence in the state first uh, uh, makes it more likely that they will first serve out the uh, the state sentence. Then, in addition, the seriousness of the charge here,
1: kidnapping versus murder. Glenn Ivey, former federal prosecutor uh, in here. Glenn, uh, I, I want to ask you that because, again, I, I, I see y'all sitting here, people saying, oh, this is confusing. And, and I need people who are watching. Some of y'all, right, okay, Roland, move on. No, I'm not going to move on because too many people out here are utterly confused about what's going on because a bunch of y'all not lawyers, and you don't understand what's happening in the criminal justice system. So I've been watching people all day, all pissed off about, about, about the plea deal i'm saying well i don't understand why the family is is acting this way because you don't understand what's going on here and so that's why we're having the conversation now glenn explain to us how does this thing work you got a state conviction but now you got a federal trial that's supposed to start on monday well what does anybody supersede someone i mean who works that out
8: yeah i mean typically the way that would work is you would do a uh, a plea agreement that encompasses
1: These two, life without parole. Saying in most cases, like in many cases, the federal is served first. Yeah, not only that, in most cases, the federal case would be the one that would would, uh, would drive the whole the penalty. Year. And what happened? And what happened here, Lee? That was back and forth between the state and the federal. And the federal folks said, the state, you go first. You prosecute them first. You said there was a plea deal offered by whom, oh, state or federal? By the federal government. Got it.
7: Go ahead. So the DOJ considered a plea deal prior to the state sentence In that case, they, the men would have served their time in federal prison first. Because of that, the family decided to take their, their chances with the state sentencing to
1: see if they would get a more severe penalty. Okay. So you're saying that prior to the state them being convicted on the state level. The, fed, the federal, uh, the, fed, the DOJ approached uh, them about a plea deal on the federal charges. That's correct. For, well, for, for both charges, as, as counsel just mentioned. They, were, they would have done the two of them together. Got it. Oh, okay, hold up. So, again, see, that sort that, of changes it. They were approached about a plea deal on the state and federal charges. And the okay. family said, let's wait. See what happens on the state with the state case. That's exactly it. Okay. Um, the judge rules. Glenn. The point I ask. I ask Lee is. Okay. Let's say the McDaniels don't accept. Let's say they pull their guilty plea. Judge says trial starts on Monday. Let's say they are convicted in federal court.
8: that um
1: Again, uh, it, it's interesting, you know, folks like, oh, my goodness, you're complicating this. Y'all, it actually is complicated because the fact of the matter is you actually rarely see this. I mean, you rarely see this. Take the cop, take the cop uh, who killed Walter Scott. Hung jury on the state level for murder charges. What did he do? He took a plea deal on the federal level uh, as opposed to going to a third trial on the state level, and that's why he's sitting in federal prison. Uh, And so people need to understand that this 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 is unusual in terms of how this happened, because what have we historically seen? Historically, we've actually seen people found not guilty on the state level, and then we've had to depend upon the federal government to convict them in a hate crime trial. Rodney King. Yeah, Rodney King case is a perfect example. And, and again, those two cases involving police officers. This obviously uh, is different uh, in ter- 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 terms of uh, what happened. Well, Lee, uh, we certainly will see. when we go to court uh, uh, on Friday, what, what they're actually going to do, the judges make clear that look, if you don't accept this plea deal, the trial starts uh, on Monday. Uh, to my panelists, mm-hmm. either one, either you have a question for Glenn Ivy or Lee Merritt, Julian, I'm a Congo. Jeff, Julian, go. someone hit me and they said, so we now advocated for inhumane conditions in prisons?" No, the inhumane conditions exist, and we have lawsuits filed against Georgia State prisons
7: concerning their conditions. However, why should these men be the exception when so many black and brown people are actually held in those deplorable conditions in the state of Georgia?
1: Well, why do these men get the less severe conditions while everyone else gets uh, the worst of the worst? So I'll ask again. The family then does not want this to be a possibility. Are there? Are they going to? Are you going to ask the federal government to drop the, char- the federal charges against them? Because if you drop the if you drop the federal charges, there's no conversation. They're going to prison. They're in life without parole. There is no discussion about potentially going to federal prison. As I said, you can move forward with this, and then they can be convicted in federal court, and the and the judges may decide they're going to go to federal prison first. So all this was for not. so will you do that? If that's up to, the, up to the federal officials to decide whether they actually drop a case. That's correct. Um, Jeff?
7: as opposed to the horrendous conditions in Georgia. Yeah, it certainly comes down to the conditions of confinement. And in Wanda's statement to the court, she repeatedly referenced the conditions of confinement is what she was hoping uh, to maintain. That she wanted to build these men to serve their time, where her son was murdered, where she raised her son, where she paid her taxes, in the Georgia state prison. And if there's a problem with the Georgia state prisons from a humanitarian standpoint, fix the prison. Glenn, any comment?
8: Uh, benefit from so when they come out from a re-entry standpoint they've maximized
1: the chance to really be productive citizens. but in the case of these two they're not coming out and if they do go to federal prison first uh when they finish federal when they're still alive they're going to state prison uh if if they go to federal prison first i'm a congo final question first of all thank you both for your tireless work on behalf of this community question that I
6: have is that if they were willing to sign something admitting that they targeted Arbury because he was black, is there some possibility where some types of hate crime charges can also be added to whatever they're dealing with, just so this, another message can be sent as it relates
1: to that area as well? Well, actually, this, so that's what this plea bargain would be. So they would be they plea bargain, They would, they would be plea bargaining to pleading guilty to federal they've already been indicted and charged with uh violating uh his civil rights federal hate crimes the multitude of this so they were pleading guilty to those charges and so today uh the, what the judge what excuse me what the uh what the assistant attorney said uh in in the courtroom she said it was important for the purpose of the public to get this to get this guilty plea to get to find them uh on these hate crime charges. Uh, Lee, your thoughts.
9: everybody it on Monday, January 31st, 2022, at 5.49 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tonight on Roland Martin Unfiltered, daily digital show on YouTube. The show description says the judge rejects McMichael's plea deal. Those are the two father and son, Travis and Gregory McMichaels, that murdered Ah Maud Arbery in uh, Georgia to County or Gwinnett County, Georgia, they were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, but the judge rejects their plea deal that was made with the federal, the federal prosecutors for the civil rights violations. Uh -uh. CT Connecticut officers suspended. Those would be the officers involved in the botched investigation of the death of Lauren Smith-Fields and other women and people in uh, Connecticut, Bridgeport, Bridgeport. Connecticut, suicide in Black America, and dental health. The mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut demanded the suspension of the detectives involved in the Lawrence Smith fields and Brenda Lee Rawls cases. Smithfield's family attorney, Darnell Coastland, will be here to give us an update. The Tennessee officer who fired the last two shots into the body of Landon Eastep East has been stripped of his police. Hours. Could that mean there are charges soon to follow? We'll have the attorney representing e Step's family here to tell us what's happening in the investigation. A federal judge denies a plea deal for one of the McMichaels after an outcry,
1: for coming up, roller Martin on, on the Black Star Network. Uh, the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut has uh, he has searched for suspended uh, detectives involved in the Lawrence Smithfields and Brenda Lee Rawls cases. will be joined by Darnell Crossland, who is the attorney for uh, the Smithfields family, the Tennessee officer uh, who fired uh, the uh, last two shots into the body of Landon Eastup. Well, folks, uh, he has been stripped of his police powers. Could that mean there are charters on the way? We'll talk to uh, the attorney who is representing Eastup's family here uh, regarding the investigation. A federal judge denies a plea deal for the for McMichaels, of course, the, the father and son uh, who murdered a mother We're going to explain to you what the outcry was about from the family, but also the legal understanding of that plea deal. Talk with the uh, family attorney Lee Merritt. Suicide in the Black Community, folks, is on the rise. Tonight we have a mental health care expert, Troy Beyer, who brought solutions for those who think there is no way out but to end it all. Plus, several HBCUs have been the target of bomb threats again. We'll tell you about that. Uh, and also, Georgia prosecutors asking for protection after a perceived threat from Donald Trump and his supporters. President Joe Biden's nominee for the Federal Reserve Board, Lisa Cook, is being bombarded with racist and sexist attacks. And that you know, people of color have, uh, first
6: of all, poor overall oral
1: health. That's right. With our Fit Live Wings, we'll talk about how to make sure your mouth is all always taken care of. Folks, it's time to bring the funk. of Roland Martin Unfiltered to the Black Network. Let's go. Mayor he has ordered two of the detectives involved in the Lawrence Smithfields and Brenda Lee Rawls death uh, to be placed on administrative leave. In a two-minute video, Mayor Joe uh, Garrett addressed the crisis, addressed the cases, folks, and the neglect of Bridgeport Police.
4: Once again, I want to express my condolences to the families of Lawrence Smithfields and also the family of Brenda Lee Rawls. After reviewing these matters even more closely, I've now directed Deputy Chief Baraja of the Bridgeport Police Department to immediately put on leave the two officers who are the subject of the Bridgeport Internal Affairs investigation and disciplinary action for their lack of sensitivity to the public and their failure to follow police procedure in the handling of these two matters. Let me declare, effective immediately, both Detective Llanos Detective Cronin are suspended from duties and put on administrative leave from the Bridgeport Police Department until such time as the OIA investigation and disciplinary cases have been completed regarding Lawrence Smithfield's and Brenda Lee's, Brenda Lee Rawls' cases. The Bridgeport Police Department has high standards for officer sensitivity, especially in matters involving the death of a family member. It is an unaccepted failure if policies were not followed (laughs) to the families, friends, and all who care about human decency that that should be shown in these situations, in this case by members of the police department. I'm very sorry. In addition, the officer who is in charge of overseeing these matters has retired from the department as of this past Friday. To again, make it clear both to members of the public and to the department, insensitivity, disrespect in action, or deviation from policy will not be tolerated by me or others in this administration. My disappointment and demand for accountability in these and all other matters brought to my attention will remain until all the questions are answered to the satisfaction of all. It should also be noted that the untimely death of Lawrence Smithfields and Brenda Lee Rawls are both still under active investigation and have been reassigned to members of the Bridgeport Police Department to resolve. I want to thank Attorney Crossland and the family and the thousands of others for reaching out and asking the questions that needed to be asked and that still need answers. I as mayor, but also as a father, cannot fully comprehend that must be going through. I can only pledge my continued support to try and ease your pain by getting answers and holding those responsible, accountable. Darnell
1: Crelston, he is the uh, Splitfields family attorney joins us right now from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Darnell, glad to have you back. So, one of the cops just mysteriously retires?
10: <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I'm looking at your 1906. I'm reminded of the Seven Jewels. I'm uh, Glad to see that you wear wearing that shirt. Um, so uh, what, what, we, what we've been learning here is that this department is in shambles, and uh, we've been saying that from day one. So it's either a combination of incompetence, um, disorganization, or straight-out racism. But the, both of these families didn't get the treatment that they should have gotten when their loved ones died. And my office has since been retained to handle the Brenda Lee, Rawls' family case as well. And the mayor said just now that he wants to thank me and a thousand others for asking the questions that needed to be asked but still have not been answered. Well, that's exactly what we're looking for now is answers. So we're glad that they've taken this step in the right direction um, to at least acknowledge liability and responsibility for the inaction of these police officers. But now we want answers and we want some action. So
1: obviously... Let's just be clear, pressure made all of this possible. This was not uh, the decision of Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, an independent decision. It was the pressure. It was from you, from activists, from the
10: family, from the media, that forced the mayor's
1: hand to take this
10: action. Absolutely. What I've been saying, and I've made a public statement, uh, which is quite clear. Listen, the world and people around the country have responded to our cry for justice. They heard us from as far as Hawaii and yet still a month and a half later we're just hearing from the mayor's office. So my question was simple. If they can hear us from Hawaii, what took you so long to hear us? And so we are saying today that uh, we should have been heard from day one and I'm not sure if it's political or what it is, but we're glad that we're finally being heard, but when the cameras uh, go off We still need to have things happening. So we're going to hold this mayor accountable and this administration accountable. And we announced today that the only way that you can hold these people accountable is, as uh, Billy Murphy uh, once said to me, who did the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore, is that you got to let them pay. And we've announced that we're going to be filing a $30 million lawsuit asking for punitive damages, also policy change. But we must let them pay. They have insurances that um, these cities are bonded by, and these insurance companies are going to get tired of paying out these claims, and they're going to demand that there's more accountability so that they don't have to pay.
1: uh, Last week, the president of the city council was on our show, and he said that the council was going to write a letter asking the state to take over the investigation. Has that happened?
10: Uh, no, I, actually, I watched that show of yours, and I know you, you kind of try to hammer this gentleman down to see uh, is it something that he's just thinking about, or is they're going to put a bill before the city council, or what's the procedure? And uh, Maria Pereira, who's the city councilwoman for the district that both these women were found dead in, um, she hasn't said anything about that procedure. So I'm not sure uh, how he's going about that, but it has not happened yet. That was interesting because he said that was supposed to have been done by Thursday. It didn't happen. Um, so the only thing that has happened since then, and I'll be glad to share with you, is that I sent a letter objecting to the MEs report. The There was a cause of death and a manner. It causes the toxins that were found inside a Lawrence Smith Fields, And we are shocked that they have fentanyl and antihistamines found in her. Um, because obviously we know antihistamines put you to sleep and make you um, uh, unfocused. So it's, it appears that that's a primary date rape drug. The manner could... The, the, the M.E.'s office told me it could be choking, um, homicide, manslaughter, accident. So my question to them is, how did you deem this an accident in total disregard for the facts and the evidence that's here that she was with a, some, another gentleman right before she died drinking and possibly drugged? So we objecting to that because that's another way to just disregard black women and say it was just an accident. Nothing to see here, folks. Go about your business. And we're not going to go about our business and, and walk away from this. Uh, has the family done their own um, independent autopsy and if so, one of those results going to be released? So the, uh, the, the father um, of Lawrence Smith fields, uh, commissioned a gentleman who, uh, works at the Stanford hospital here and also does that type of autopsy. Um, and far as I know that the autopsy is not completed. And, uh, also the father told me last week that there was some, uh, funds that were being demanded in order for them to release what they've had so far. So thankfully, we have a GoFundMe, and um, and I'm going to be speaking with the family to clear the necessary funds, so we have no holdups. So we, so our own pathologist can give us their their um their findings. All right then, and of course, uh,
1: just give out that GoFundMe information again for folks uh, who like to contribute.
10: Yeah, so please contribute if you go into Lawrence Smith Fields on the GoFundMe, it comes right up. And uh, again, Lawrence Smith Fields on GoFundMe, and please help us support us with uh, investigators as well as pathologists to find the truth and what happened here on this journey to justice. All right, Darnell Crossland, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you,
1: thank you, Roland. Uh, my panel folks, Dr. Julianne Malvo, she is the Dean of College of Ethnic Studies, California State University, of Los Angeles. Dr. Omakongo Dabinga, Professorial Lecturer, School of International Science, American University, American International Service, American University, and Reverend Jeff Carr, founder of the Affinity Fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. Glad to have all three of you here. Uh, Omakongo, I want to start with you. Uh, you know, whenever cities make these decisions, you're putting police officers, you're suspending them you're trying to quiet the noise as much as you can, and it is abundantly clear, they realize there are some serious screw-ups in this police department.
6: Oh, most definitely. And one of the people you know we wouldn't expect you to add to that list of people who've been calling out what's going on is you, Roland. I mean, every night you're hitting this hard and you brought it to probably more attention than anybody else. And so once again, it's just amazing how this platform has done work to revolutionize things across this country. This police department, as the attorney said, is, is in shambles. And the fact of the matter is we have, you know, the, the, the first sister rolls almost two months she's been dead. And then with Lauren, we're over a month now. And the fact of the matter is, is that this police department does not care. And they really do think by what you were just talking about, by having these little actions here and there, that we're going to go away. No, proverbial heads need to roll. We need to do more to find out about this, the, the lead detective or whoever who had the opportunity to resign. They let these two black bodies be thrown away. And if Bridgeport thinks that these little actions that were done today to put these guys on leave is going to stop us, they need to do more work to clean up their action. Now, it's like Johnny Cochran said, you know, you got to hit people in their pocketbooks and, and their hearts and minds will follow. But we have to make sure that they know that whatever judgment they can give to this family is never going to be enough because we are going to make sure that Bridgeport and every other department across across the country knows that our black bodies and our black children and our black elders, you know, our Rawls in their their 50s, I believe, they matter. They matter. Every single day we're going to fight to draw more attention, but if they did their job in the first place, we wouldn't need to. How do you let families have family members die and you don't notify them? People got to walk up to, in the case of Rawls. walk up to a man's house and be like, oh, she died over the weekend. And you call yourself an organization that protects and serves the people? You don't protect and serve all of us because you clearly didn't care about them. But we're going to make sure that you do one way or another because this family will never get justice. All they can get is accountability, and they're going to get it.
1: Uh, This is the uh, GoFundMe for law and spent fields. Uh, So far, 2,600 people have made donations. Uh, they raised uh, nearly $70,000 uh, as a result, uh, so that's uh, that particular uh, GoFundMe. Now, we talk about uh, the, uh, the other case, uh, that is uh, Brenda Rawls. R- 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 There's also uh, a GoFundMe uh, that's been set up uh, for her as well, uh, and uh, that one is, uh, they, they've just started that one. That was created one day ago, and you will see there uh, three folks have donated so far. So, the target goal is to raise $50,000, and $200 has been raised thus far there uh, as well. Julian, um, this is, you know, we talk about this all the time that when we have these cases where African Americans uh, have been impacted, uh, it requires uh, protests, yelling, screaming, hiring of lawyers, doing media attention uh, just to do the right thing.
0: Roland, these cases both break my heart. Um, as a sister who has led black women organizations, as a, an educator who's seen young people thrown away, as a Congo has said, thrown away. Um, how does a white boy, and I'm just going to call it like that, a white boy goes, oh, I found how she was dead. And he just walks away? What the, you know, what is that? I mean, I don't even understand it, but the fact is that people are contributing People are fighting, people are unwilling to let these lives be tossed. And even as we talk about these lives, what we have to talk about is how many lives have not been investigated. How many times have black women and men just been seen as throwaway human beings? And the little mayor, with his little comment after the fact, um, you know, whatever. That's all I have to say to him is whatever. Whatever. What they need to do is bring the feds in, and that might not even help, to audit that police department. Because if those two cases are being dealt with that way, how many other cases have they had? Uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut is not different from Harlem, New York, or from Los Angeles, California. This happens all over the country. But finally, Roland, partially thanks to you and partially thanks to protests, you have people who are saying, "Uh uh-uh, no more. We have, we we can't make this episodic. We have to stay on top of it because we only make it episodic. We say, okay, that was one case. No, we have millions of black bodies that have been buried somewhere because somebody didn't give a hoot.
1: Uh, Jeff, um, the thing that um, that is 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 so clear uh, to me is that. This is what we call a callous disregard for black life. Surely,
5: surely. Uh, first off, I wanna say, thanks to everything that you've done, Roland. Uh, literally, I know people who did not know about this case until they heard about it on this show. So I think with what everyone has said, what Dr. Obinga said, uh, said what Dr. has said, very, very, very clear that we're talking about a disregard of black life, but how do we push back against that? How do we create uh, spaces for us to stand for ourselves and to continue to put pressure on the power systems that are out there until they buckle? We're seeing now that in this digital age, we have a remarkable opportunity to rally people that we didn't have before. When I was in college and I was an early activist, we used to have to actually type out things, put them on flyers, slide them under the doors, go out into the neighborhoods, tack things on telephone posts, get the wheat paste and just paste it over the electrical boxes to try to raise awareness. Now we have the internet, we have the digital space, and more importantly, we have black owned media like this, which gives us the ability to tell our story, to push the narrative, to get people into a space of awareness and alignment. So I don't want to minimize that. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to now continue to push. We've seen in recent years, uh, there are two points on this I want to make. One about how police, 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 and then how we stand together using the digital space to force this issue. We always have talked about uh, a step in the right direction. We've heard the uh, accolades being given to the mayor here for making a step in the right direction. There were protests that have been taking place over the last 7 or 8 years that have now begun to evolve. At first, if you remember, people were calling for accountability. They were calling for police officers to be fired. We realized that wasn't enough. Then we were calling for police officers to be officers to be indicted. We realized especially with the George Floyd issue that that indictment was not enough. We had people celebrating the indictment and in the middle of celebrating the indictment, we said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're seeing that these officers are getting off and being irresponsible and not being punished. Now we're talking about from the beginning to the end, firing, conviction, putting in prison, putting in jail, and on top of that now, we're paying for it. In this circumstance and situation, I'm not sure that there is any relief by bringing in the feds in the state of tennessee which we'll discuss a little bit later there are issues with the policing and what happens is the district attorney and the city announced well we're going to make this transparent by turning it over to the tennessee Bo- bureau of investigation we're going to allow the state and the feds to investigate the cops here and that makes us believe that it's transparent transparent but as long as there is a code of blue Alluding to something Dr. Malvo pointed out, we can't fully trust that the Code of Blue is going to indict and convict itself. So hitting them in the pocket, coming together around GoFundMe, we now have no excuse for being able to support each other across the board. And as the attorney, Attorney Croson said, Brother Croson said, we now have an opportunity to stand for ourselves, support ourselves,
1: and push this until we hit them in the pocket. Uh, Absolutely. And so, folks, we're going to continue uh, focusing on this case, when new details arise, we certainly uh, will be right there, giving you an update on exactly what's going on. All right, folks, I've got to go to a break. When we come back. Uh, our daily black and missing update uh, for you as well. Plus, uh, we'll talk about uh, a variety of other cases later in the show. We'll talk about what took place today in Georgia for two of the men uh, who were convicted in the death of Ahmad Arbery. The family was. Uh, Not happy at all with a proposed Department of Justice uh, plea deal. We'll tell you what the judge has decided, but also break down exactly what that plea deal was all about. Folks, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star.
5: Take your seat the black table with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star.
1: So, what, so, in the video, he reaches back, pulls something out. What was that? Was it a phone? Was it?
3: No, there was, uh, we're not sure what that is, and we've never been able to really get like a good picture, a good view of it, but it was some like thin, silver, metallic-like object. It was very small. I don't know, maybe compared to a nail clipper or something, It's something of that sort.
1: But they couldn't ascertain what it was, and then when he, pulls it out, their instinct is to shoot to kill. Has anyone explained to you why no one had a taser?
3: Listen, I have no idea why they jumped uh, from zero to 100. I have no clue. And my understanding is they had been out there over 30 minutes. So I don't, you know, here in Nashville, our Metro Council will give the police department anything they ask for, any amount of money. So uh, recently, they just gave them over $3 million because they wanted new tasers. Um, They spent over $9 million on uh, SUVs. They give them anything they want. So this is a well-equipped department. They have tasers, they have guns, they have dogs, they have pepper spray, they have
1: have it all and I just the, the, the thing that just is just beyond me uh, is, is this was clearly a man who had some issues uh, did he have a history of mental illness uh, anything along those lines um, as it relates to uh, his uh, as it relates to um, you know you know his condition anything like that
3: yes he does uh, my understanding is he was bipolar and schizophrenic Uh, So he definitely has a history of uh, mental health issues. But even if he had not, I still do not understand how this started as a man, a welfare check, is my understanding. A man sitting on a guardrail on the side of the road, not bothering anybody, not obstructing traffic, not doing anything to anyone. I don't know how it went from that to one officer to two officers to three to four to five to, I mean, it was no less than
1: 20, 25, 30 out there. Oh, uh, I, I do because, because that's exactly what happens. And the problem is when you have a welfare check, a wellness check, uh, and again, they were out there more than 30 minutes. It was abundantly clear something was wrong with this man. And so this is why people have been saying you bring in mental health professionals do not send out cops who first instinct is to pull out weapons and they are trained to shoot to kill not to wound to shoot to kill and that and so I'm still sitting here going okay if you were out there that long and clearly and we played the audio and we can hear the officers say look man we don't want to be begging you know don't want to do this here I don't understand why you don't that's not where you go hmm guns down hit pull a taser and even after a certain period of time, and granted, you don't know what he's carrying, that's why you also have a taser. And what's more disturbing,
3: that voice you hear negotiating with him, is our understanding that that was the off-duty officer who pulled up. This in another county. He had his family in a car. His wife actually calls 911 to say, hey, if these officers start shooting, I'm, I'm going to be in the crossfire. So this is an off-duty officer driving down the street, he gets out of his vehicle, and he's doing all the negotiating. Wow. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. Um, but in Nashville, Tennessee, when it comes to our Metro Nashville police, they get an F when it comes to being prepared to deal with people or citizens with mental health issues. We get an F. We get an F. Uh, they're just not a and this was not, within the, a year's span, this was not the first person to be shot by a Metro officer with clear mental health issues. They killed a homeless man. They killed a homeless man in the woods. His mother had called in and asked them to check on him. His name was Jason Griffin. They killed him. Um, there was a young lady who called the police. Her name is Melissa Wooden. She called Metro police and asked them to come kill her. She no longer wanted to live or whatever. They go out there, she's holding a uh, uh, souvenir baseball bag in one hand and an ax in the other hand. Officers are out there, she has no gun, no, nothing that's deadly. They shoot her, she does not die, but they do, they tase her first and then they shoot her and now she has a colostomy bag. So, I mean, they're just uh, ill-equipped. They're not prepared to deal with people with mental health issues and it makes no sense because they get every dime they request, every penny they they even think they want, they get. It's approved.
1: Indeed, uh, Joy. What's next for you and the family?
3: Next, uh, his wife is going to have to have services. He still uh, uh, has not uh, been buried. They still haven't had the service, so. Uh, that's what's next, you know, this is still, we're still in the initial stages. Uh, it's very hard on her. They were only married, they got married May 21st. They haven't even been married a year. He has a teenage son that he leaves behind. Um, so I guess just arrangements, those arrangements, uh, what's next, but we do want officers held accountable here. We want yep. officers held accountable. They've already decommissioned one, and the one they decommissioned, decommissioned is the one you hear them say stop, ceasefire, whatever. He's the one that even though uh, Mr. Step is on the ground, clearly on the ground, no threat, he continues to shoot. Uh-huh. That's him, Ryan Murphy. So uh, he's been decommissioned. So I, I, I expect that there will be some type of criminal investigation as far as he's concerned, but there needs to be an investigation as to all officers out there that day it was like a firing squad. They executed that man, that mentally ill man. They executed him. Uh, and, and I just hope this isn't one that gets swept under the rug because it's, it's bound to happen again and again and again.
1: Indeed. And, I was, and let me
3: just say this. And then not really, you know, we just I heard you talk about it on one of your shows. We had another officer who was convicted um, killing Daniel Hambrick. Now, the grand jury indicted him on first-degree murder. However, some deal was made, and um, the judge, Judge Monty Watkins, uh, allowed him to uh, be sentenced to three years, which he will only have to serve a year and a half of that. But um, we really aren't holding these, uh, these officers accountable here in Nashville.
1: Um, It is certainly uh, a a sad story. Joy, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us. uh, Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Uh, All right, folks. Uh, Georgia DA asked for FBI security after Donald Trump held a rally in Conroe, Texas. During his speech on Saturday, Trump railed against prosecutors investigating him, including Fulton County DA Fannie Willis. Her office uh, is looking into Trump's interference in the 2020 presidential elections there in Georgia, Trump urged his supporters to hold massive protests. If anything illegal, is discovered that he did. Listen to this idiot.
4: If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, In Atlanta and elsewhere, because our country and our elections are corrupt. They're corrupt.
1: New York Attorney General Letitia James and the Manhattan DA are also investigating Donald Trump's businesses. Willis wrote a letter to the FBI office in Atlanta asking for a risk assessment of buildings surrounding her office and the courthouse. The building where a grand jury will be seated to investigate election interference. This Jeff right here uh, shows you how evil, how sick and demented this idiot is. He ha- has no regard uh, for life, has no regard for anyone else, uh, and frankly cannot be trusted at all. Uh, I hope these folks heard hurry up and indict this thug. Uh, it's also noteworthy
5: to point out that And with all of those component parts, he's still quite popular. And he's very popular with his people, and he's popular with people who believe in him. Uh, I talked about one of the first—this was a couple of months back when I came on here. I talked about the difference between belief and fact. And if you can convince somebody to believe in something, in some noun, in some person, place, thing, or idea, they don't care what the facts are. So Trump is speaking loudly to his true believers. Uh, They're not interested in the rule of law. Uh, They're not interested in fairness, justice, and equality. They're not interested in equity. They're only interested in in Trump, and they're interested in what he is promising to give to them, even though he never, ever delivers. He is speaking and using coded language. That is working for him. It works for him. If you'll note, every time you listen to him speak, I'm going to give you a little tip to listen to him for Listen to how he describes the country and listen to what he stresses. Our country, our election, he's talking about white men, our America. Make our country great again. It's direct coded language. It used to be coded language. Now it's just shop talk with the homeboys. So now he's saying, I am going to do whatever I want to do in this space as long as I have you behind me. People will get money. They will show up at the rallies. They will turn their hate into activism. So we have to be mindful that while, yes, he is shameless, while, yes, he is corrupt, while, yes, he is unqualified, he knows exactly who he's talking to. He knows how to push their buttons. He knows how to rally them. He knows how to charm them and to mobilize them. And that is why Donald Trump is still dangerous. This is why we have to make sure that we don't sit back on our laurels and just allow this to go unchecked.
1: Um, Julian,
0: You know, the orange orangutan is, uh, I don't curse on your program, so I won't call his name. The orange orangutan is at a highlight of stupidity, cupidity, ignorance, and arrogance. But the fact is that these prosecutors who are well within their rights in their jobs that they were elected to are being treated to horrible, uh, just horrible treatment. And let's be clear in terms of what Jeff said. He's not going after white men. He's going after women. He's going after black women. He said horrible things about Letitia James. He said horrible things about this sister here in Georgia. What he's basically doing is going after those who are perceived as other. So he's attempting to set up a tableau where it's white men and everybody else. And there are white men who are, you know, I can't even say that on air. Even I can't say what I took of them on air. Uh, live, you know what, you know what. Um, but that they are so threatened by the notion that they're going to be scrutinized. They're willing even to put their own mothers, daughters, sisters, and wives under the bus when these women are raising questions about what he is doing. He needs to not only be locked up, they need to put a a straitjacket on him and tase his behind for 45 minutes or so before they put him up under the jail because he's basically imperiling the life liberty of just about everybody. It is disgusting. When you hear him, it's disgusting. Put a muscle on his mouth or a sanitary napkin. For that matter, that would really freak him out. uh,
1: these folks they still listen to him his rant and his ravings and again we saw what happened on January 6th Uh, he can move these folks to violence Uh, DA Willis is absolutely smart to do this
6: Oh, absolutely and he called at that rally for large the largest protest that America has ever seen as it relates to any actions that these women's offices may take so we could be talking about something greater than January 6th I think we also you know brother jeff was talking about paying attention to the words that, that he uses let's also remember let's listen closely as well when he goes after people like liz cheney and kissinger and all of these other types of guys he may call these guys are not patriots or traitors and so on and so forth but he never uses the word racist never used that word until talking about these two black women so if everything that he said in that rally the most dangerous word that he can throw out to that audience is that word racist. These women not only need protection in their offices and for their staff, they need round-the-clock protection. We've seen what has happened across these countries in these school boards and this fake, you know, critical race theory argument and what these people will do over mask policies and all of this other type of stuff. Imagine what these folks will do to hear that Two black women are coming after their lead. This is no joke. And these two sisters need to invest in private security in addition to all of the FBI stuff. We have to start going the distance to make sure that our community is protected because we've seen what they're willing to do to each other as it relates to these insurrectionists and January 6th and so on and so forth. They could give two cares about us. This
1: is real, and it needs to be taken serious in every way, shape, and form. All right, folks, hold tight. One second. When we come back, we'll talk about today's developments in a federal courtroom in Georgia where the Amon Arbery family vehemently opposed a Department of Justice plea deal between uh, two of the white men uh, convicted of murdering Amon Arbery. We'll break down exactly what this plea deal was, uh, how federal courts works when it comes to these deals, We'll also be a toy joined by one of the Aubrey family attorneys, Lee Merritt. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr,
5: here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star
2: Network.
4: Hello, everyone. I'm Godfrey,
0: and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. And while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing.
1: All right, folks, uh, today in Georgia, a pretrial hearing took place for two of the white men who were convicted in state court for killing Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, This, of course, now the federal trial is supposed to start. So, as you already know, they were convicted again in state court. But this is now the federal court. Well, the issue today dealt with a Department of Justice uh, plea deal that was uh, worked out uh, between uh, them as well as the two defendants. Now, uh, this is the plea deal right here. In this p- particular plea deal, they would be sent, They would get thirty years in federal prison, but in addition to them. Uh, getting 30 years in federal prison, as part of the plea deal, uh, they also would confess to the actual crime that they chased Mark Arbiter down because of his race. Now, in this plea deal, they also would waive any federal appeal as well. This would ensure... They will be incarcerated regardless of the outcome of any of their state appeals. Now, uh, this set off uh, the family of Ahmaud Arbery. They were not happy with this deal because, based upon this deal, uh, they would serve 30 the first 30 years in a federal prison, and after 30 years, if they are still alive, they would then be transferred to a state prison. Again, this was for Travis McMichael and his father, Gregory. Uh, what, so what the judge then? The judge, the judge did not agree to the plea deal. Now, she did not. She agreed with. She agreed with the. I listened in on the call today, folks. She agreed with the thirty-year sentence. She did not agree to agree on the second part of the plea deal when it came to them serving the first thirty years in federal prison. As a result, she gave uh, them an opportunity to withdraw their plea deal. Their attorneys asked for 48 hours to confer with their clients. She then said, well, you can come back tomorrow or you can come back Friday. They said, let's do Friday. She said, let me be clear, the trial begins on Monday. In the back and forth, the judge made clear she could sentence them to more than 30 years. She can sentence them to 30 years or sentence them to less than 30 years. Uh, and so that that was the issue there. Joining us right now uh, is uh, Lee Merritt, one of the attorneys for my family, uh, Lee, uh, you sent out uh, a series of texts uh, condemning this plea deal. Um, why is that? Why, uh, why uh, that response? Because this was what the, this was the statement that was sent out after the judge's decision uh, from the Assistant Attorney General Christian Clark, who leads the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. "Quote: We respect the court's decision to not accept the sentencing terms of the proposed plea." And continue the hearing until Friday. The Justice Department takes seriously its obligation to confer with the Aubrey family and their lawyers, both pursuant to the Crime Victim Rights Act and out of respect for the victim. Before signing the proposed agreement reflecting the defendant's confessions to federal hate crime charges, the Civil Rights Division consulted with the victim's attorneys. The Justice Department entered the plea agreement only after the victim's attorneys informed me that the family was not opposed to it. Your response to that? Uh,
7: Kristen Clark, who has has been a dear ally and friend in the Civil Rights Department, and even before she was there, did consult with us as attorneys, both I and Ben Crump. Uh, She did not talk to us about the condition of transfer from state custody
1: into federal custody, and that's what the family was uh, against. So So what is the issue there? Because if they go to federal prison for 30 years, they're in prison. They're not getting out. And if they serve their time in a federal prison, then they're going to state prison. So so, what is the issue here? Them serving it in a Georgia state prison, prison versus a federal prison? Well, as Kristen Clark will tell you, the uh, Department
7: of Justice is currently suing the state of Georgia because of the condition of their prisons. They're overcrowded. They have less funding. And comparatively, federal prison would represent a lighter sentence certainly so to the family the family is convinced of that and so they are not interested
1: in any plea deal that makes that sentence primary when you say a lighter sentence what does that mean how is it lighter if the time they're not getting less time in federal prison no so what i said was if you consider
7: the condition of the state prisons in georgia uh, the the fact that they're overcrowded Something that the family wanted to consider, when uh, and and obviously these men think that the sentence will be lighter
1: because they are fighting desperately to be getting transferred to federal prison. Okay, I'm, I'm 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 still trying to understand this. Okay, so is the family saying because Georgia prisons are overcrowded, underfunded, uh, and they're in horrible shape, they want to see them there? That's correct. Okay, so that's why we keep saying lighter sentence. That's really what you're talking about there. Um, and so uh, now here's the other piece here. They are appealing on the state grounds. Was a part of the federal plea deal, they are admitting to the crime. Can't, doesn't that pretty much negate any potential appeal? Because they are admitting to it that, 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 that he was, he was uh, pursued due to race. Uh, and so you pretty much slam dunk. You're try to appeal all you want to you ain't getting out because you're going to have this federal uh, sheet of paper where, where they have stated that they pursued him and killed him based upon his race. Absolutely. The terms of the uh, confession that where they admit to certain
7: aspects of the crime, now mind you, uh, uh, mens rea or the, the belief that uh, that they chased after the, uh, Ahmad because of his race is not a factor in the crimes that they were convicted of at the state level. However, any confession is going to make uh, an appeal more difficult. So, yeah, that would be
1: one benefit to the uh, to the plea. Uh, also, uh, this this DOJ plea bargain, uh, it also uh, would mean they, they can't appeal on the federal level. Right. They have waived their right to
7: appeal as a part of the plea agreement. They could not uh, appeal the plea agreement they, that they would have entered
1: today. So what would the family be satisfied with? That is... They, a plea on the federal level, but they serve it in the state prison instead of federal? The family is actually content with their sentence as it stands, life without the
7: possibility of parole and, and Georgia state prisons. This is a cherry on top. So anything that would come along and modify that, the conditions that they've already accomplished in the state Senate,
1: uh, they would oppose. But 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 here's the deal, though. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, when it comes to, uh, 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 Comes to uh, state, you have life without parole, but that's obviously on the state charge. You still have the federal charge. But one of the defendants does have the possibility of parole, correct? And he was not a part of this, please. Right, and, and that's uh, William Roddy Bryant. That's correct. Okay, uh, and so if that's the case, is the family then asking the feds to withdraw the tr- the case? Because, again, the judges said the trial is going to start on Monday. So, if they come back and say, hey, because, you know, judge, you didn't accept it, we're, you know, uh, we're not going to accept this. Let's say this thing moves to trial, okay? It goes to trial. Let's say they are convicted. The reality is, I've talked to different lawyers who say, in a lot of times, when you have somebody convicted in state and federal, a lot of times, the federal uh, supersedes the state and they serve time there first. So, so e- even if the trial moves forward, there's no guarantee that if they're convicted, they don't serve, uh, initially in federal prison.
7: So this is certainly a condition that we spoke with Kristen Clark about, and she assured the family because of the primacy of the state case and the fact that the, the charge for murder was more serious in terms of weight, uh, at the state level, than the federal level but without a
1: Okay, no, no, no. Without a plea deal, they stay in state prison if they're not convicted. No, even if they're convicted. Based upon what? Based on the representations of Kristen Clark. No, based upon, uh, based but, but is there is there a statute that says, is there a statute, and I've been asking people for it, is there a statute that says the state takes precedent over federal? Uh, it, there are
7: factors play here. First, who received the sentence first? So the fact that the state received the sentence first, and again, this is as was explained to us by Kristen Clark, the head of the Civil Rights Division of the DOJ. Uh, so the fact that, that they received the, st- the sentence in the state first uh, uh, makes it more likely that they will first serve out the uh, the state sentence. And then in addition to the seriousness of the charge, here, kidnapping versus
1: murder. Murder is the more serious charge the sentence that they would play out first. I want to bring in Glenn Ivey, former federal prosecutor, uh, in here. Uh, Glenn, I, I want to ask you that because, again, I, I, I see y'all sitting here, people saying, oh, this is confusing. And, and I need people who are watching. Some of y'all like, okay, roll and move on. No, I'm not going to move on because too many people out here are utterly confused about what's going on because a bunch of y'all are not lawyers. And you don't understand what's happening in the criminal justice system. So I've been watching people all day, all pissed off about, about, about the plea deal. Some saying, well, I don't understand why the family is, res- is acting this way because you don't understand what's going on here. And so that's why we're having the conversation. Now, Glenn, ex- explain to us how does this thing work? you got a state conviction, but now you've got a federal trial that's supposed to start on Monday. Well, what does anybody supersede someone? I mean, how, who works that out?
8: Yeah, I mean, typically the way that would work is you would do a, uh, a plea agreement that encompassed the state and the federal case at the same time. So there would be a coordinated effort. Um, and then, you know, typically the federal sentence would go first uh, or, or be the entire sentence because typically the federal sentences are more are, are stiffer than state sentences. Now,
1: because they have been convicted, these two, life without parole, that's life without
8: parole. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess the feds, you know, that they don't have a sentence that's going to supersede that from the standpoint of uh, a, a term of incarceration. Um, so you would think, uh, as as counsel as counsel just explained, and that he was re- he got representations from the Department of Justice that um, the state sentence could supersede that. Uh, and that would be the uh, the one that would be served first, but it, it, it is a little unusual for it to happen that
1: way. I must say. So you're saying, in most cases, like in many cases, federal is served first. Yeah, not only that, in most cases, the federal case would be the one that would would um, would drive the, the whole penalty. Media. And what happened? So, and what happened here, Lee? That was back and forth between the state and the federal, and the federal folks said to state you go first. You prosecute them first. That's right. And there
7: was a plea deal offered before the state entered their sentence, you could, you, you may recall. And in
1: that case, the hold, 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 was hold, hold, hold one second. You said there was a plea deal offered by whom? State or federal? By the federal government. Got it. Go ahead.
7: Yeah. So the DOJ considered a plea deal prior to the
1: saying that prior to the state him them, them being convicted on the state level the, fed, the federal, uh,
7: the, fed, the DOJ approached uh, them about a plea deal on the federal charges that's correct, for, for both charges as as counsel just mentioned they, were, they
1: would have done the two of them together got it, oh, okay, hold up, so again, see that that sort it of changes it they were approached about a plea deal on the state and federal charges Family said, "Let's wait to see what happens on the state with the state case." That's exactly it. Okay. Um, the judge rules, Glenn. The point I asked, I had asked Lee is, okay. Let's say the McDaniels don't accept. They, they said they pull their guilty plea. Judge says trial <laughs> starts on Monday.
7: Let's say they are convicted in federal court. Then what?
8: Represented that um, uh, that uh, the, the the state would go first from the standpoint of incarceration. Usually, it's the other way around. Usually, the federal sentence is what drives um, all of this process at the state and federal level. Usually, it's coordinated. Uh, so it is a little odd, but um, you know the fact that it's it would be a longer sentence. Um, you know because it's a a life without parole sentence. You know maybe that's a factor. I, I guess the other question. serve their sense, at least at the federal level, the judges don't even decide that. That would be the hero of prison. So
7: they get the hero of prison. That's exactly it.
1: Yeah, so, uh, and again, uh, it, it's interesting, you know, folks like, oh, my goodness, you're complicating this. Y'all, it actually is complicated, because the fact of the matter is, you actually rarely see this. I mean, you rarely see this. Take the cop, take the cop uh, who killed Walter Scott, hung jury on the state level for murder charges. What did he do? He took a plea deal on the federal level uh, as opposed to going to a third trial on the state level, and that's why he's sitting in federal prison. Uh, and so people need to understand that this is this, this is unusual in terms of how this happens because what have we historically seen? Historically, we've actually seen people found not guilty on the state level, and then we've had to depend upon the federal government to convict them in a hate crime trial. Rodney King perfect example. And, and again, those two cases involving police officers, this obviously uh, is different uh, in ter- 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 terms of uh, what happened. Well, Lee, uh, we certainly will see when we go to court uh, uh, on Friday what, what they're actually going to do. The judges made clear that, look, if you don't accept this plea deal, the trial starts uh, on Monday. Uh, to my panelists, either one, I you have a question for Glenn Ivey or Lee Merritt. Uh, Julianne, I'm a Congo, or Jeff?
0: Uh, Glenn, uh, I'm um, well,
8: Club beds. They're still jails, but um, they're certainly not what you'd see at the state level from the standpoint of accommodations and the like. But you also have the supermax case, you know, j- jails there too, where, you know, the Unabomber is held and the Al-Qaeda suspects are held and, uh, you know, that crowd too. And that's 23 hours of solitary confinement day after day. In fact, human rights violations have been raised about that particular prison in Colorado. So. Uh, I, I, you know, the family has a right to, to push for what it wants, and they're probably right that the state, if, if I hear counsel right, sounds like the situation in, in Georgia jails is, is especially bad. Um, but there's some tough jails
1: in the federal uh, co- uh, complex of jails as well. So, oh. Well, I, I got I, I got this text, Lee, and I would like someone, someone hit me and they said, so we now advocating for inhumane conditions in prisons?
7: Know the inhumane conditions exist, and we have lawsuits filed against Georgia state prisons concerning their conditions. However, when why should these men be the exception when so many black and brown people are actually held in those deplorable conditions in the state of Georgia? Well, why do
1: these men get the less severe conditions while everyone else gets uh, the worst of the worst? So I'll ask again: If the family then does not want this to be a possibility, are there are they going to? Are you going to ask the federal government? to drop the, char- the federal charges against them. Because if you, you the, if you drop the federal charges, there's no conversation. They're going to prison, they're in life without parole. There is no discussion about potentially going to federal prison. Because as I said, you can move forward with this and then they can be convicted in federal court and the, and the judges may decide they're gonna go to federal prison first. And so all this was for naught. So will you do that? Roland, it's
7: funny that you say that because as in our conversations with the Department of Justice yesterday, Wanda Cooper Jones made it clear that her preference was, if there was a chance that these men would be transferred to federal prison as a result of their conviction, then take these charges. And
1: um, well, I won't use the language she use. I drop them. But if that's up to the that's up to the federal uh, officials to decide whether they actually drop a case. That's correct. Um, Jeff.
5: Yeah, there are uh, several issues here. I want to say thanks to Attorney Merritt and Attorney Ivey for really getting into the weeds with this issue. And like Brother Roland said, there are people out here who do not understand the complexities and the layers when it comes particularly to sentencing. When you talk about the state system versus the federal system, uh, some of those differences come into play, including the quality of management. Uh, the the size of the prison system itself, the federal prison, I think uh, there are about, 100 uh, 100, oh, about 122, 123 federal prisons, whereas there are over 1,700 state prisons, and they tend to be poorly run. Is this issue about, and this plea agreement that was rejected by Judge uh, Wood, is this more about preferred imprisonment for these guys? They want to take their chances at the federal level as
7: opposed to the horrendous conditions in Georgia. Yeah, it certainly comes down to the conditions of confinement. And in Wanda's statement to the court, she repeatedly referenced the conditions of confinement is what she was hoping uh, to maintain. That she wanted these men to serve their time where her son was murdered, where she raised her son, where she paid her taxes in the Georgia State prisons. And if there's a problem with the Georgia State prisons from a humanitarian standpoint, fix the prisons. Glenn, any comment?
8: Well, you know, I think it's it's certainly a challenge, uh, you know, what's going on in prisons across the country. And this is true at federal prisons, too. COVID is a challenge at the federal level. They have a lot of jails or, or prisons. Uh, Washington, D.C. actually faced some challenges with, with the, their jail as well. And I filed a uh, request to get uh, prisoners out of jail early because of these conditions at the federal level. So it's a challenge that I think we need to keep our eye on. I understand the the family has a unique concern here, but, but the challenge of the condition of our prisons, we've got to keep our eye on that ball because they're inhumane. People don't get a chance to get the types of training and, and, and education that they could uh, benefit from. So when they come out from a reentry standpoint, they've maximized the chance to, to really be productive citizens
1: again. But in the case of these two, they're not coming out. And if they do go to federal prison first, um, when they finish federal and they're still alive, they're going to state prison. Uh, if, if they go to federal prison first. I'm a Congo. final question.
6: First of all, thank you both for your tireless work on behalf of the community. The question that I have is that if they were willing to sign something admitting that they targeted Arbery because he was black, is there some possibility where some types of hate crime charges can also be added to whatever they're dealing with, just so this another message can be sent as it relates to that area as
1: well? Well, actually, th- so that's what this plea bargain would be. So they would be okay. they, the plea bargain. They would they would be plea bargaining to pleading guilty to federal hate crime charges. Right now, they are they've already been indicted and charged with uh, violating. Uh, his civil rights, federal hate crimes. So there, there, the multitude of this. So they will be pleading guilty to those charges. And so today, uh, the, what the judge, what, excuse me, what the uh, what the assistant use attorney said uh, in case, in the courtroom, she said it was important for the purpose of the public to get this, to get this guilty plea, to get find them uh, uh, convicted on these hate crime charges. Uh, Lee, your thoughts. Yeah, the, the hate crime charges uh, um, are not available
7: at the state level, and, and obviously they're pressing them forward in the federal case. However, for the family, they're mostly concerned about these men serving out their state sentence.
1: All right, then. Uh, any response to that, Glenn? No, I, I, I take that point. Um, you know, it, it would be a, a powerful,
8: I think, admission by both of these men that, that what they did was based on racial animus. And I think that would be an important message for the nation to hear, really the world.
1: But I, I, I understand that, that, you know, the family has a different uh, priority on this. All right, then. Lee Merrick, Glenn Ivy, gentlemen, I truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No so, so so one of the reasons why it was important to have that conversation and give that time to it, because, frankly, a lot of people out here, yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on. Okay, here's the deal for everybody out of here who's whining. I see y'all in the chat room whining and running your mouths. Today's hearing, you couldn't record it. We couldn't air it. So unlike the state trial where you got to actually see for yourselves what was being discussed, federal cases aren't allowed, they don't allow that. They did allow a phone line to be available for those of us to listen in to hear the proceedings uh, and then be able to report it. And so it's way too many people. I, I, I saw stuff all, all day today. I saw people, oh, oh the DOJ is trash. Uh, uh, Kristen Clark, what kind of black woman are you? Okay, this is the same black woman who was, the, was the, leading the law Committee for Civil Rights uh, 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 under law who was out there fighting civil rights cases. So, folks, the reason we have shows like this so you can understand the law so you can understand what's happening here this is a very unique case that we're that we're dealing with here that rarely ever happens and so it's too many i mean let's be real clear it's way too many black folks out here who are emotional on this whole deal who are trashing other black folks who want to see them convicted and so we have actually something that we rarely ever get. Justice on the state level and the federal level. Because they've been convicted on the state level and the plea bargain was to plead guilty on the federal level. And so versus sitting here yelling and complaining and why we having a conversation is to allow our black legal minds to explain to you what is going on so you understand what is going on and you're not running out of here in a fog trying to figure it all out and so again the judge gave them till Friday for the McMichaels only one of them was in the courtroom today folks so that their lawyer said can we confer with our clients so Friday when they come back to court, they will decide, will let the court know whether they have actually accepted the guilty plea. If they withdraw their guilty plea on Friday, the federal hate crimes trial for the McMichaels will begin on Monday in Georgia. And we'll tell you exactly what happens on Friday in this case. Folks, when we come back. A former Miss Miss uh, former Duty Patrick Queen commit suicide a couple of weeks after. 26-year-old son of Regina King does the exact same thing. We'll talk with an expert next about what is happening with African Americans and suicide, and we'll also later talk with a doctor about your oral health. We'll talk about mind, body, fitness. We'll talk about working out your diet. Mm, but a lot of us have some serious problems in our mouths that could actually hurt us later in life. Folks, you're watching Roller martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.